we're going to uh, forego the praying of the Lord's Prayer today uh, in favor of praying the Lorica of St. Patrick's. So here I am, all of the terrible things I said earlier on, don't pay any attention to them. Uh, St. Patrick was um, a saint, a missionary, in uh, the 5th century, in the 400s, and he is widely celebrated as having brought Christianity to the island of, of Ireland. And uh, he was a mystic, uh, a priest and a missionary and a traveler and a mystic. And one of the prayers that we are left with from St. Patrick is called the Lorica of St. Patrick. Lorica means breastplate. And uh, we're going to, to I, I will read and invite you to pray the last little bit with me, but it's a long prayer, um, but it reflects some of the Celtic spirituality that's at the background of uh, some of uh, the Welsh and Scottish and Irish traditions of Christianity. And I think as, as we hear this Lorica together, it should remind us of what we are anticipating when we're talking about the life after the life after death. Because Western Christianity has largely been heaven-focused, so we live our lives here. Um, we do our, our best to convince people to follow our way of forgiveness through Jesus so they and we can go to heaven. But we've forgotten to pay attention to the fact that there's going to be a renewed heaven and earth. And Celtic spirituality loves the land. Celtic spirituality celebrates things like thin places, where the difference between this world and the next, or this world and the parallel world, um, is, is, is breached by a thin place. So there are certain places geographically, in, in the old country in particular, that are thought to be places where we are nearer the gods, or we are nearer heaven, or heaven is, is nearer to us. Um, and, and that's a fascinating tradition, and it is certainly in keeping with this idea that the heaven and earth that are here are not to be thrown away. They're to be redeemed. And all of the things that we feel about the land, um, the things that we feel about where home is and going back there, and the, the music and um, the soul of different cultures will be celebrated um, with corruption rid and a perfect existence for us in the new heaven and new earth. So um, I'll invite you at the end to join me. I'll tell you when. But uh, here is the Lorica of St. Patrick. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. I arise today through the strength of Christ's birth with his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion with his burial, through the strength of his resurrection with his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom. I arise today through the strength of the love of cherubim, in the obedience of angels, in the servants of archangels, in the hope of resurrection to meet with reward, in the prayers of patriarchs, in the predictions of prophets, in the preaching of apostles, in the faith of confessors, in the innocence of holy virgins, in the deeds of righteous men. I arise today through the strength of heaven, the light of the sun, the radiance of the moon, the splendor of fire, the speed of lightning, the swiftness of wind, the depth of the sea, the stability of the earth, the firmness of rock. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, 
God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptation of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill afar and near. I summon today all these powers between me and those evils against every cruel and merciless power that may oppose my body and soul, against incantations of false prophets, against black laws of pagandom, against false laws of heretics, against craft of idolatry, against spells of witches and smiths and wizards, against every knowledge that corrupts man's body and soul. Christ to shield me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that there may come to me an abundance of reward. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lay down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. It's quite a prayer, isn't it? And then let's all say this last little piece. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. It's called the Lorica of St. Patrick or the Breastplate of St. Patrick. And I commend it to you. There are many notions in that prayer um, that bring a fuller thought about our faith, um, a fuller thought about the realities spiritually around us, a fuller thought about the earth of which we're part, um, and a lovely, lovely Christ-centeredness um, where there is no place left around me except that Christ is there. And that's something that day by day is just very powerful, isn't it, to be able to know that Christ goes before me, he, he comes behind me, he's at my right hand and at my left hand, and uh, he's in my words, he's in the thoughts that those have who meet me. Um, it's just a full, full sort of um, explanation of our faith. So it is the prayer of St. Patrick, the Lorica of St. Patrick. Sometimes it's called the Deer's Prayer. We're going to carry on today to uh, consider, along with many others around the world, um, the early church and how they lived out their community and their faith and testimony. Young people are invited to go with Brianna, who has just stood up and said, I'm not staying here for that. <laughs> so the youth are invited to join Brianna upstairs. We're well into 40 Acts, and I hope that it is inspiring you. I hope it's helping you just sort of be more aware of people around you and situations around you as morning by morning we get a lovely short devotional that's inspiring, and then we're challenged with some things that we can do along with many others around the world. So as we do that, we're, we're looking at the characteristics of the early church. And the first one that we noticed um, is kind of a startling one, and it, it is that they were called brave. Um, they had courage that we know did not come from themselves, as we saw last Sunday, because they were a terrified lot right after the death and resurrection of Jesus. But by the coming of the Holy Spirit, 
and by what happened on Pentecost, um, they gained a boldness um, that is really inspiring to us as well. Uh, the second thing that we're observing, along with others who are studying through these uh, experiences of the church in Acts, is that they were a united church. Um, there was a, a cohesion about the believers that, that's really lovely to see. It's interesting, when we go to John chapter 17, and it's Jesus praying to his Father, he asks for a whole lot of things, but there's only one thing that he asks for twice. And what he asks for twice is that his church would be one. Twice he asks that his church would be united. And if we were to look back and ask ourselves how we would have fared, what our report card would be like on the scores of the things that Jesus prayed for, we might get to this one and say, oh my goodness, the one thing that he prayed for two times, we have messed up more than anything else. Because sad to say the church is not one. I mean, it, it, it is one. It is mystically and spiritually one. But the expression of the church um, is sometimes not at all one. And we find ourselves nuancing on things that are not necessarily essentials. Um, and then we'll sort of go off with the rest of the people that we've been able to convince on our particular essentials, right? But Jesus said, I pray that they will be one so that the world will believe that you sent me. So the single forensic evidence that Jesus prays about that should convince the world about Jesus is that his church is one. And when it is one, that happens in remarkable ways. Um, two of the greatest experiences I've had in ministry have been to be involved in Billy Graham missions in which the church lays aside its differences and cooperates about the one thing, which is the message of Jesus. I remember preparing for Mission Toronto, and we had a prayer retreat um, up at a, a conference center in Muskoka. And the person who was leading the prayer retreat began it in a really diff different way than, than I expected. His name is Joe Aldrich. Joe was a well-known evangelical. He had a, a seminary in uh, the western U.S. and um, finally died of um, um, a chronic disease that debilitated him awfully. So Joe was leading this prayer retreat, and there were probably 50 or so of us. And he said, the, the first thing I want to do is go around the room, and I'm going to ask each of you to say your name and your church and denomination. Well, that's the typical thing that you do, right? So you think, all right, well, that, that's good. You know, I'll scribble down some names because I want to remember people's names to be able to chat with them. Maybe when I recognize somebody and where they're from, I'd like to ask them something. So that took about, you know, 20 minutes by the time we got all around, and there was a little bit of chatter that got added in as we got around. And then he said, now, he said, having done all of that, I want to ask you a very important question. Are you ready? Who cares? And there was, a, there was just like a, a ripple around the whole group when we all said, nobody. Nobody cares. So when you find another believer, celebrate your unity with that person, whatever their tradition. So here we are on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, Annabeth and I lived in Richmond, B.C. during a papal visit um, of which our neighbors were the coordinators. So I was you know, still fairly fresh Ulsterman, and these Catholic friends of ours, three or four houses down, 
were the coordinators of the Pope's visit. Now, you have to know that I grew up thinking not well of the Pope. There were stories told about this character, um, and you've heard some of them as well. Um, but here we were, and one day we were having coffee together with John and Sue, old Flannery. And uh, I looked at Sue, and I said, if our people back home knew that we were sitting together having a coffee, they'd disown us, wouldn't they? And she said, yeah, they would. And I thought to myself, what a shame. What was it that drove such deep divisions between us? At another occasion where I was a plenary speaker along with another one, he was from the East Coast. He was a Glasgow-born Catholic priest, and I was a Belfast-born Baptist pastor. And we got stuck in an airport. And he said, well, it looks like we're, we're here for a few hours. What do you want to do? So we went to the cafe there, and he said, I'll tell you what. You ask any question you've ever wanted to ask a Catholic, and I'll ask any other question I want to ask a Protestant. So for like three hours, we went through the questions. And he finally looked at me, and he said, are we good? I said, yeah, I think we're good. He says, wait a minute. Rangers or Celtics? <laughs> the only thing that matters, right? Which football team? So the unity of the church, which needs to be with care attended to the truth, was what Jesus prayed for. So we're, it's not unity at all costs. There, there are some things where we have to say, well, you know what? If you go past that, that's kind of not Christianity anymore. But within truth, broadly received truth, we need to express the unity of the church. And the early church was just really, really good at that. And so here's what we hear about them in Acts chapter, chapter 2. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now that little passage has been a primer for many for a long time of what the, the essential components of a local church are. So they had latched on to some things that were their daily routines and daily commitments. And they are often isolated into the apostles' teachings. So a gathering of believers should, should always be oriented towards um, the orthodox teaching of the Holy Scriptures that has been passed down to us generation to generation to generation. So they were doing this. They were being devoted to, and the, the, the verb devoted to means they were, they were just diligent about this. And so the apostles were those who had seen the Lord. They were the ones who had been made the custodians of the truth, the faithful testimony about what Jesus came to do, who he was. And so these folks, many of them who were new believers, right? Because the church began with a handful of 50-some, and then all of a sudden there were thousands, thousands in one day, and one fell swoop became Christians. And so what do you do when one day you're a faithful Jew and the next day, you're a completed Jew, having come to believe that Jesus, in fact, was the Jews' Messiah. So they wanted to know everything they could hear about him. And so they would go and they would listen carefully to the apostles as they taught. The apostles were probably teaching in the temple courts. So there were crowds of people 
who were collecting and listening every time one of the apostles stood or sat and they stood around. And that was what occasioned the, the discipline, right, where the, the Jewish leaders said, you have to stop this. We keep telling you to stop telling people what you're saying about Jesus. Well, these followers, these thousands of new followers of Jesus, were being devoted to the teaching of the apostles. Who was Jesus? How do we understand that against the promise of the kingdom of God? How do we understand that against the promise of the Messiah? And so they would go from the temple courts back home, and house to house was sort of their other part of a rhythm, that day by day they would collect publicly on the streets, and then they would convene in one another's homes, and they would have food together, they would eat together. And there's a little section between these verses that says they had everything in common. So there was a whole new economy for them. They, they didn't claim ownership of anything that was theirs. They put it out for anyone else to use. And when some had need, they would take things and sell them so they could contribute to the people that had financial needs. And it was a perfect little community. It didn't last very long because soon persecution became very intense. But in those early days, in those kind of heady days of the beginning of the church, um, they had an idyllic sort of a community. It, it has often been looked back at as kind of the, the design of a church, that any church that is like the Acts New Testament church would be a happy church, would be a healthy and uh, a, a successful kind of church. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The phrase that jumps out to me is this, having favor with all the people. So apostles' teaching is really important. Fellowship, not just friendly sitting and drinking coffee and chatting, but being deeply involved in one another's lives. Eating together, remembering the Lord, because breaking bread probably refers to the physical act of eating a meal together because it would usually be begun by a wafer like bread that the head of the home would break and serve around the table. But then they would also reserve part of that and a cup of wine and they would observe what we call the Lord's table. So those things were happening, the apostle teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, praying together. But the result of all of this, as they lived in the rhythm of their communal life, was that they had favor with all the people. There's also an interesting comment like that about Jesus, that he grew in stature and in favor with God and people. So what I'd like to talk about today is this whole notion of having favor with people. Because whenever we have that opportunity, whenever we are able to make friends with people, we ought to seize the opportunity and we ought to take it for all it's worth. Jesus said, the time will come when they won't accept you. But until that time, um, if we have the opportunity, we should do good deeds, we should reach out to people, and we should have peace with everyone, and we should live by the person of peace kind of rule that says, you go out, albeit as sheep among wolves, you go out with my message, and whoever opens their door to you, Go in, settle in there, and stay as long as they invite you to stay. Have favor with all the people. So I want to talk to us about having favor on Main Street. That between now and the fall, we should be doing some things to curry favor on the street. 
Um, we're going to talk to you for the next few weeks about getting a T-shirt. And there's a really practical application of the sermon. If the people in the street don't know who we are, we may not be very impressive to them. If the people on the street, we hope, don't know who we are, then that's a bad thing as well. But if we are people who are wearing T-shirts and hoodies that say Southside at Maine, and we go out there with smiles, and we go out there with behavior, and we go out there with handshakes, and we go out there with hellos, maybe we'll curry favor, right? Maybe we'll have some favor with the people that might be augured towards the kingdom in, in very specific ways. So there are three things that I think um, characterize this church that are instructive for us. There are three V's. The first V is visible. The church was visible. E- even when people began to persecute the church, they said, but man, the way they love one another is really remarkable. We're not into it, but we've been watching them, and they really care for one another. So the early church was visible to its neighbors. It was visible because these thousands of new followers were still going to the temple every day, and they were still teaching in the temple courts every day, And then they were gathering with one another in their homes. And if anybody didn't have food, they would just say, well, come on home with us. These were um, households that were bigger than our, um, even the the big-sized houses that are around today. These households were huge. So it it was a family, a primary family, maybe a a patron family who had some wealth or some business. Um, They would have a household of employees Um, They would have various and sundry associates, and they would all gather together in these households to have meals. And if you didn't have a meal, or you didn't have somewhere to go, they would just say, well, come on home with us. And then, in the course of having the meal, they would come to the communion aspect of it and say, now, what we usually do here is we reserve some of the bread and some of the wine to remind us of what's most precious to us. And we're told that day by day, the Lord simply added to the church those that were being saved. How were they being saved? They were being saved because this church was, first of all, visible to them. They, they didn't go hide someplace where they couldn't be seen. Do you know that the church is not very visible to society? And that we have to be strategic and intentional to become visible. We were, as, as you know, for several years um, at Bramley Baptist Church in Brampton, and I had a conversation that recurred that always surprised me. So people would ask me the question, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, where's your church? Well, our church is at, at Queen and, and what, what is it? Dixie, that is it. I knew Joseph would know that. Um, and... It's right kitty corner from the Bramley City Center. It's a huge building. It's a big red brick building. And when I was there, we even put a big white cross on it. So you, there was no mistaking that this is a church. Inevitably, somebody would ask me, well, where's your church? And I would tell them, Queen and Dixie, and they'd say, was there a church there? Honestly, they'd say, I didn't know there was a church there. I don't think I've noticed that. Well, do you know where the city center is? Yeah. Well, right, right across from that. Oh, that's really funny. And yet, 
several times I would be in like a grocery store and I would have this comment. Um, someone in the lineup would notice me and would say to somebody else, um, you should go to his church. Now, Dean and I go have breakfast with Troy every now and then and he tells all his customers they should come to church here as well. So we're trying to have the courage to say, Troy, you should go to church. <laughs> I think we have. I think we have. <laughs> Someone would s- and the reason they would say that is not because they went to the building. It would, it would always be followed up by this. I'm part of a program there called Celebrate Recovery. All right? I'm part of a program there called, and it, it was never the building that was visible to them. It was the people. It was the people that invited them to come to something that happened there. And the church was visible through its people, not through its presence. So while we have moved here to be visible, it is absolutely possible that we could yet be invisible to this street unless you help us. Am I right? Because we see people day by day coming by and somehow they can't see that we're here until they have their hands cupped and then they're really embarrassed because we're, we're, we're pointing at them or we're saying come on in they're going <laughs> it's people right this early church was visible by its people you couldn't miss them one time not too much longer after this here's the word that went around These people that are turning the world upside down have come here as well. So here are these brand new followers of Jesus, and they are turning their city upside down by simply being and doing Christianity in full view of the people around. So they were visible. And if we're to learn the first lesson from them, I think it is that we have to be visible. I'm on a campaign to try to get you all to come here and just hang out here. Because when people walk by, I want them to see things going on in here that they might be interested in. See, if if they walk by and they finally figure out, oh, it's a church, and they look in and they don't come by on a Sunday, and they just go, yeah, yeah, I guess that's a church. In fact, we had only started to develop this site when a person walked past and I was outside And he discovered that it was a church and said to the person he was with, yeah, that's all we need, another church on this street. Hmm. Well, that is what we need, another church on this street. What we need is the churches on this street, and we are in full fellowship with the other churches on the street. But the perception is, hmm, I guess that's fine, another church on the street, as though we need one. Being visible is something that I think we need to be actually strategic about. And and that's where I'm going with this. Second thing was that they were vibrant. Do you hear what it said about them? That they were continuing with one mind in the temple. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. If you met one of these Christians, you would remember you'd go home and say, I met the strangest person today. She went on and on about the Messiah and said that she knew who it was. 
She's one of those people that are singing and dancing over there in the temple courts that we're seeing every day. Hmm. And rather than putting people off, the reality of their communal life gained them favor. So how can we be visible on Main Street in such a way that we gain favor by being on Main Street? Here's one way. We're going to participate in a community cleanup March 31st. So come with your garbage bag and your gloves. Buy a t-shirt or a hoodie. And there are samples on that table over there. Bethany's desk is a small, medium, and large. And there are order forms so that when you come and on that Sunday after church, we all go out and clean up the street, people will notice that it says Southside at Maine. That's not to brag. It's just to say, well, I wonder who those people are. Because it's the sort of thing people think churches ought to do. And when we do the sort of thing that churches ought to do in people's opinions, we gain ground with them, right? They, they don't think we ought to be trying to drag them in here and convince them of some silly dogma or something like that. But they do think that they're things that churches ought to be about. So that's one that's being a good neighbor. And so I hope that you'll come, put on your t-shirt or a sweatshirt, um, order slips are over there. There are three samples of uh, sizes. Bethany is too gracious to have an extra large size, but it, they're small, medium, and large. And if you're like me, you'll probably hold up the large and say, mm, you know, extra large, please. Triple X large, please, whatever. Because, you know, big and bulky is good as well. So don't be embarrassed. But order your T-shirt and come and help us clean up the street. How hard is that? Right? So they were visible... They were vibrant. They were, whenever people encountered them, there was something real and, and something just sort of joyful about them. And we Christians need to smile a whole lot more. We, we need to be not typical Canadians. We need to be, oh, watch this. We need to be more American. So Peggy's not here and Mary's not here, so they're not going to, take advantage of that but you know what you know how canadians are just typically kind of shy well when you meet someone and all you have is kind of a shy hello for them and then and and you drop your eyes and don't keep looking at them if if there's any room for you cheering a person up or encouraging them um you lose it right so i i love um i love going into shoppers because shoppers I think they, they're, they're not aware that we're on to this yet. But if you're in the cosmetic department of shoppers, your job is to say hello to everybody that walks in the door. Have you guys noticed that? You walk in, hello, we'll stop and say, hi, how are you? And they, they don't know what to do after that because <laughs> their, their only job is the Walmart, hello, how are you? Um, right? So let's not be those people. Let's be those people when we say, hi, how are you? And the person says, uh, having a lousy day. We stop dead. And we look at them and say, tell me about that. Right? Because in, in that distance between being shy and engaging can be the opportunity for what's in us to begin to show. They were joyful. They, they, were, they were just a vibrant kind of people. And when you meet a vibrant person, it rubs off on you, right? Um, I, 
Brian is disgustingly vibrant. <laughs> right? You can't have a bad day with Brian. Because you walk in here, and if it's not a good morning, he goes, Hi, good morning, how are you? you go, I'm lousy. Would you just leave me alone for a while? I want my office back. Right. But see, that's the kind of personality that I think we need to show. These believers were not boring. They were not hesitant. Um, they were thirdly verbal. They talked about what it was um, that was gathering them together, that was just giving delight into the depths of their hearts, and it was all about Jesus. And the distance between meeting these people and knowing Jesus seemed to be a daily distance because the Lord was adding every day those that were being saved. Because I was invited into his home. He invited me to come into his home and sit at his table. And he didn't put me at the faraway place of the table. He invited me to come up and sit close to him. These people are different, entirely different. There's another thing we want to invite you to do, and that's about the Easter egg collection um, street activity. So we're not going to be giving Easter eggs, nothing wrong with that, but we're going to have coloring and all kinds of stuff in here. And I know that Anne, with the study groups, is recruiting them at least. Um, and that is on April the 13th, I believe, Saturday. Just come. Help kids come and color We'll be having little things to hand out to them about what Easter is truly about. Not bunnies and eggs, but the great news about Jesus. So far from being quiet on this, we need to be verbal. And the Christian message is one that is a song with music, but it does have words. There are words. So the music is the music of being present, being visible, it's the music of being vibrant, but it's also the music that is verbal. It, it has a text that says, Jesus of Nazareth changed the world, and he will change your world, and he will change our world. So this was a cool church to be a part of. Um, and they did all this while they still went to work. You know, it's not as though they um, became a sort of a commune and withdrew from society. They, they, they did all the things they would regularly do. But the thing that was burning in their bosom was this new thing about Jesus. And they wanted everyone to know about it. So all I can notice this morning is that they were fully visible to the world around them. And we need to be as well. So whatever you can do to help us be visible, to be around here, is a good thing. They were vibrant, so when we go out of these doors, let's get smiles on our faces and let's greet people on the street. If you go into any of the businesses on the street, tell them that you're part of this church gathering here and tell them they're welcome to come anytime they would. Go, in, go to the restaurants around here. The little restaurant next door is a fusion restaurant. They are delightful people, a delightful family operation um, with great food. Today, the arms will be the mecca of Main Street. Well, it's up to you. Um, but find your way around here, and especially as the weather begins to turn. Saturdays, this becomes a mission field. The market brings Ontario to Milton's Main Street. How can we be visible to that? How can we be vibrant about that? And how can we be verbal 
about that. They're selling uh, produce and foods out there. We have a kitchen here. What, how do we join dots, right? And it's up to you guys. What are the ideas that you would bring to the table so that we can all together be visible, be vibrant, and be verbal as we move through, I think, a time that's important to us. We're here, we're settled, so let's get down to business. Let's do it like the early church did, because that was really good. And by the way, it is what we are all about, because we have a vision about God's future in our presence. That's the vitality of us, the vibrancy of being us. We also have a vision of our mandate to be God's future by our presence. That as we engage our world, we are to be those that give them news of a land that they've not yet visited. Rumors of something else. Uh, And that's exciting for us, as it was for the church, has been for millennia.